Welcome to another edition of Talk Talk. My name is Kevin Aronson from Hampshire School of Photography. I've been a photographer for over 50 years and now I'm sharing all my knowledge and experience with all new photographers anywhere, anytime, anyhow. Okay, um, lovely to have you with us. In this one, we're going to be looking at shutter speed. It's part three of the 10-part series looking at the very basics of photography. Um, if you've missed the one preceding this, which is on Aperture, uh, check it out. And obviously next week we'll be looking at ISO. As always, we ask you to press the subscribe button to keep in touch with us and we keep you informed of when the next episodes come out. And if you'd like to know more about our workshops, then check out gohsp.com, which is our website, and there you'll find details on everything we do. You'll also find on there access to the Photography Teacher, which is my blog, where it's full of tutorials, instructional videos, giving you insights into photography, Photoshop, and Lightroom. And now it's over to me. So to recap on the last Talk Talk in this series where we looked at aperture, remember aperture controls how much light enters the camera. The shutter speed controls how long that light goes in for. And from our perspective today, we're going to look at two different types of shutter. One's mechanical, one's electronic. In fact, there's, there's more than one type of mechanical, but we're going to be looking at one that's called the focal plane shutter. And the focal plane shutter consists of two elements or curtains as they're called and with this type of arrangement the first curtain sits in front of the sensor preventing light from hitting it the moment you press the button on your camera it moves out of the way and allows the second curtain to come down and close off that sensor from receiving the light receiving the image so the work of the two together the first curtain exposes the sensor the second curtain comes down and closes it and then once you've taken a picture, they reset back so that the first curtain ends up sat on top of the sensor again. This is really simple to understand. So let's say you're shooting at a shutter speed at one hundredth of a second. You press the button and the first curtain moves out of the way. A hundredth of a second later, the second curtain comes down and the shot's complete. And that's it. Once you go over to electronic, however, things get a bit more complicated because with electronic shutters, there are no mechanical elements whatsoever. And basically, the pixels on that sensor are switched on one line at a time. And so it's building the picture up from the top to the bottom, usually one line at a time. One of the advantages of this system is you can shoot at much faster shutter speeds than you can with mechanical. So let's say you had loads of money and you went out and bought the most expensive DSLR on the market. I don't know, £5,000, something like that. The fastest shutter speed you're going to get on any DSLR is 8,000th of a second. If you don't buy the top of the range or a professional model, it's likely to be that your top shutter speed is only 4,000th of a second. As soon as you go to electronic shutter, it's now not unusual to have speeds much quicker. I mean, as high as... 32 thousandth of a second super super fast and i've even seen 64 thousandth of a second now think about this what if you're photographing something let's say you're photographing something at i don't know 250th of a second and you're photographing with an electronic shutter and you're photographing something which is moving really fast it's quite possible that by the time the electronic shutter has scanned from the top line down to the bottom line, the subject you're photographing has changed position. And if that happens, you get something called 
rolling shutter effect, and the thing you're photographing is distorted and bent and twisted. It's a well-documented effect, and, and manufacturers are actually getting better at reducing that. One of the other disadvantages of an electronic shutter is that sometimes you get banding, which is like dark lines across the screen. Sometimes they can be quite pronounced, other times they're quite subtle, and manufacturers, are, again, are getting better at reducing these. Banding happens because the frequency of the scan of the sensor sometimes is interfered with by the frequency of the pulsing of a light, a lamp. It could be an LED or, or a fluorescent tube. And when these two interact, sometimes you get these interference patterns resulting in the banding on your photo. Let's look at some of the pros and cons in working with electronic shutters. So first of all, faster shutter speeds. You can definitely shoot at faster speeds with an electronic shutter. There are no moving parts, nothing to wear out. And because there are no moving parts, there is less judder at slow speeds. And of course, if you want, you can turn off the sound and they can be completely silent. And I can remember shooting weddings with a DSLR in a church and that quiet moment where the bride and the groom give their, their vows to the congregation. Everything's quiet apart from the, the vicar or the minister speaking and them saying, yes, yes, I marry this person and I, you know, I honour and obey and all that stuff. And, and in the background, all you can hear is the photographer going click, click. Click plus the echo that you get from your shooting inside a big church. So it's click, 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 click. <laughs> you know, when I'm shooting with a DSLR in a church, I'm very aware that I am disturbing the atmosphere, that the noise of my camera going off is just taking something away from that moment. As soon as I went over to using a mirrorless camera, I can take as many pictures as I want and nobody hears a thing. And if you're shooting pictures candidly afterwards in the reception, you can get really close to people and they've no idea you've taken their picture because there's no noise. So the ability to shoot silent is a real bonus. On the negative side, um, rolling shutter is a possibility for shooting fast-moving subjects. You've got that possibility of banding. And if you're shooting with something called electronic first curtain shutter, which again, I don't want to go into on this talk, but it's quite possible that if you're shooting with that switched on in your camera, and there are some cameras you can't turn it off, and if you're shooting with a wide aperture and fast shutter speeds, you can actually reduce the amount of background bokeh, the, the blurring in the background. And again, this is a complex area which falls outside the remit of this particular talk. And finally, and this is a big one at the moment, flash doesn't work. Flash doesn't work with a traditional electronic shutter. So if you're shooting flash, you have to switch back over to mechanical shutter. So there are now some cameras coming out which are very expensive at the moment, but I'm sure this will, you know, this will come down to the uh, lower price models over the next few years where the electronic shutter scans the whole image in one go in a single pulse as opposed to line by line and once that happens you can then use flash with them. So this is obvious what I'm going to tell you now. Fast shutter speeds are great for capturing fast moving subjects. Slow shutter speeds well <laughs> for slow moving subjects but you can also create some great effects with slow shutter speeds. Let's look at the shutter speeds themselves. So typically, you know, you might be shooting at a speed of a half a second. You'll double that speed to a quarter of a second, double it again to an eighth, and again to 15, which is roughly double eight. I know 16 is exactly double, but, you know, rounding it up. 
as camera manufacturers do. Then you go to 30th and a 60th and a 125th and a 250th. Each time that you increase the shutter speed, it doubles, just like the stops on an aperture. You remember we was talking about that with aperture as you adjust one stop at a time, you either double the light or half the light. And it is with shutter. So you have shutter speed stops, which do exactly the same as apertures, but obviously by different ways. One controls the quantity of light coming in. The other one controls how long that light comes in. But shutter speed stops are just the same as aperture stops. Turning your dial one way doubles the amount of light coming in, turning it the other way reduces the light by a half, doubles one way, halves it the other, just the same as aperture. So they both do the same job by the same amount, but by different methods. This is important. So both aperture and shutter speeds have stops. They both do the same job by the same amount, but by different methods. Now, an important thing with shutter is that if your shutter speed is too slow, you can get camera shake. There's a point beyond which it's very difficult to hold the camera completely steady. And when that happens, you end up with a picture which has got a blur to it. And sometimes people come to me and say, my camera won't focus properly. And it's nothing to do with focus. It's the fact that they've not had a fast enough shutter speed and the picture's a little bit blurred because there's movement from the hand not being able to hold the camera steady enough. So, when I first picked up a 35mm camera back in the late 60s, I was taught by my school camera club that there's a very simple rule to follow which pretty much guarantees most of the time you're going to get a steady shot. And this was the rule. Avoid hand holding your camera at any shutter speed which is less than the focal length being used. So let me give an example. Assuming, let's say you've got a nice long lens, a 200mm lens on your camera. If you are to avoid hand holding your camera at the shutter speed less than the focal length, if your focal length is 200, then you shouldn't shoot less than 200th of a second. You, you can put it on a tripod if you want to go below 200, but if you're hand holding it, don't go below 200. If you've got a 100mm lens, don't go below a hundredth of a second. And if you have a 50mm lens, don't ha try and hand hold that lens below a 50th of a second. And normally, the, on many cameras, you don't have a 50th of a second, certainly in older cameras, so you would round that up to a 60th, which is... Uh, which is a shutter speed most cameras have. Certainly had back in the days of film, which is why many people I bump into say to me, hmm, I shouldn't hand hold this lens less than the 60th of a second. Because that rule came about when everybody had 50mm lenses on their cameras. So the safest speed to hold that 50mm lens was a 60th of a second. Because there wasn't a 50th on the camera, but there was a 60th. I hope that kind of makes sense. So that's the rule. Whatever your focal length is, don't hand hold your camera at a shutter speed less than that focal length. Now that rule was made up years and years and years ago and it still holds up for today's cameras. But the problem is most photographers these days don't shoot with 35mm film. If they shot with a full frame camera, which has the same size sensor as 35mm film, then they could apply these rules. But most of us these days have crop sensor cameras. Usually, 
for most of us, the crop magnifies the image about 1.5 times, or appears to. It's, it's an optical illusion. And some of us have other cameras made by Olympus or Panasonic where the sensors are smaller, and the crop on those is not 1.5, it's 2. You're getting lost? Don't worry. I'll post a link at the bottom of this to a video I shot back in 2016 which explains about crop factors if you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so those of you who are still with me and haven't, their brains haven't exploded, let me just explain the effect of the crop sensor camera. If your camera is a 1.5 crop sensored camera, it means whatever your focal length is, you have to multiply that by 1.5. So, all right, here we go. Let's see if we can describe this on an audio format, which doesn't get overly complicated. Let's go back to that 50mm lens. That 50mm lens on a film camera dictates that you shouldn't handhold less than a 50th of a second. If you go below that, the chances are you can't hold it steady enough and your picture will be suffering from camera shake. It could be that you're not very good at holding things steady, so you could potentially, you could potentially have a little bit of camera shake, in which case you need to shoot at a faster speed. But generally speaking, for most people, Whatever your focal length is, that's your minimum handheld shutter speed. Now, if you've got a 1.5 crop, you've got to magnify that 50 by 1.5. So that 50 is now no longer 50, it's 75, because 50 times 1.5 is 75. That means, yes, <laughs> I can see your eyes all glazing over now, over the airwaves. If you've got a 50mm lens on your camera and you're on a 1.5 crop sensor camera, the minimum handheld shutter speed is not 50th, it's 75. If you're shooting on a 100mm lens, multiply that by 1.5 and you get 150. So if you're using a 100mm lens on a 1.5 crop camera, your minimum handheld shutter speed is 150th of a second. It does get complicated more if you're shooting with a micro four thirds camera because your crop factor is two and it all changes, it all changes. So what sort of shutter speeds are suitable for what? If you've got a really fast moving subject, crack that shutter speed up. So this is how I used to figure things out as a, as a, as a teenager. I figured that if I was standing in a room, I was photographing someone on the other side of the room, you know, maybe they're 10 feet away, something like that. And they're just kind of moving slowly and talking and chatting and maybe gesticulating a little bit with, that, with their hands. Two fiftieth of a second will capture most of that. There, there's potential there could be some, there could be some subject movement blurring at the tip of their hands where they're moving it. But generally speaking, 250th of a second is great for most people in most situations. Once the movement of that person starts speeding up, so you have to increase your speed beyond that 500th of a second, 1,000th of a second. At a 1,000th, you get water globules forming. If um, I, I've got this picture somewhere where I've got my wife pouring uh, water over her granddaughter. And as the water came out of the bucket, it's all frozen in globules a thousandth of a second. So it's worth knowing that. But here's an interesting thing. If you're shooting a sports subject and you're shooting at a, at a shutter speed that's so fast it's freezing that subject in midair, sometimes it looks like that subject isn't moving. 
So I've got a picture which after Newton I'm demonstrating this subject of a go-kart bombing around a corner really, really fast. And I've shot it at a speed, I think it was about 16 hundredth of a second. And it looks like he's parked. There's no blur in the picture at all. It's absolutely frozen solid. Shooting at a slower speed, and I've got one which demonstrates that about 640th, I think it is, of a second. Motion blur has crept in. And that little bit of blur is a giveaway to the person who looks at the picture that there is action going on in a shot. So sometimes when we're photographing something where the movement is important, sometimes it's actually worth shooting slightly slower than you would normally do so that the blur creatively conveys the movement. Pick a slower speed than you normally would, get a bit of blur in, and now the image says there's movement going on, there's action in this shot. At the other end of the scale, really slow shutter speeds, which you need a tripod for, so you know, once you start going beneath the 50th of a second, certainly um, 30th, quite possibly, depending on the lens you're using, 15th most definitely, 10th of a second, 5th of a second, and so on and so forth. Once you start getting really slow, you definitely need a tripod. There's no question about that. So there's a very, very brief introduction to shutters and shutter speeds and how shutters work. If you want to know more, then uh, perhaps you need to book onto one of my workshops. <laughs> Why not indeed? So this whole series is sponsored by Hampshire School of Photography, which I'm the founder. So obviously it makes sense that we'd sponsor it. And uh, we have one day workshops called Introduction to Photography. We start at 10 in the morning, go on to four in the afternoon, and we thoroughly explore aperture, shutter speed and ISO and some other stuff. And if you're new to photography, we really do take the mystique out of it. And having the visuals on the screen to help explain how some of this stuff works, it's much easier. I, I realised when I set out to, to do this particular series, it was going to be tough to convey some of this stuff without visuals. And it is. It is hard. But if you've been inspired or you want to know more, then go onto the website, which is gohsp.com, click on to courses and find Introduction to Photography. We run them four times a year, uh, usually about eight people on the course. And um, it's a great way to really understand what's going on in your camera when you press the button. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you at the next one.